Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. Here we go, fall. How's the creative juices going everybody? I want to thank you so much for everybody that wrote in about my last podcast when I spoke about what happens in the silence. I love that so much. I'm really inspired by your moments of silence and where it got you and I'm going to certainly look for more of those. Something that resonated with me this week is the following written by Glennon Doyle Melton. Here it is. You're not supposed to be happy all the time. Life hurts and it's hard, not because you're doing it wrong, but because it hurts for everybody. Don't avoid the pain. You need it. It's meant for you. Be still with it. Let it come. Let it go. Let it leave you with the fuel you'll burn to get your work done on this earth. Yeah, that struck a chord for me. Did it strike a chord for you? Oh my gosh. That line, life hurts and it's hard, not because you're doing it wrong. That's something I'm going to remember for a long time. Let me know if something struck a chord for you. Hit your heart. I'd love to hear about it. Send it to firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com. And now, this week's firecracker shout-out. Okay! This week's firecracker shout-out goes to film team of Under the Scarf, Anna Antuna, Meherine Ashraf, Michelle Leon, and Cheyenne Williams. And a drum roll, please. Oh my gosh. They won a 2021 Emmy for Outstanding Short-Form Children's Program. Yes! Were you doing the drum roll? Hit the symbol. Under the Scarf is a production of Girls' Voices Now, a Women's Voices Now summer youth program in Los Angeles, which focuses on empowering the next generation of women and femme-identifying activists, filmmakers, and feminists between the ages of 14 and 22 years old, and teaching them, you know, documentary filmmaking. Under the Scarf is about Meherine, like any other teenage girl who tries to navigate her way through high school. Once the scarf is on, she is deemed a stereotype. And this film is one of four short social impact documentaries co-produced by Global Girl Media and Women's Voices Now in the summer of 2018. Incredible. What an incredible program that is. You have to go on over to Women's Voices Now, all one word, .org, to watch the film and also find out more details about not only that film, but the organization, the people that run it. They're all... Incredible, incredible superheroes. Congratulations again to the whole Under the Scarf team. Okay, on to our guest. Our guest on the show this week is New York-based comedy writer, actor, improviser, Kate James. Yeah, I'm such a fan of Kate's. If Kate's name sounds familiar, it's because she was on our Work in Progress panel last July 2020 on Facebook Live. Showtime's Work in Progress will, oh my gosh, if you haven't seen it, you gotta see it. It'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry, it'll make you have all the feelings all at once. It's incredible. We had Abby McEnany, who's the star and co-creator of Work in Progress. And then we had Celeste Picoche, who stars as Campbell. We had Mary Sohn, who stars as Susan. And then we get to have a little Kate James, too, who stars as Miriam and is currently a writer on the show. Firecracker Department has huge thanks. Thanks to Celeste, because I remember speaking to Celeste and chatting about work in progress. I was speaking to her afterwards and saying, oh, it'd be so great to have a whole panel to support the work in progress team. 
And because Celeste is just a little bit magic, she helped make it happen. And then we had my good friend Mary Sohn from the Second City World, and we had her as a guest. I mean, we are quickly moving through the entire work in progress team, and I know we are all better for it. And so here we are, I get to chat with the one and only Kate James. Now, I know Kate James from the Second City corporate world, and I, I quickly fell in love with Kate. I think she's just such an extraordinary human, and then funny as heck, and then smart. I remember seeing her do a little improv at one of the corporate gigs that we were doing, and she just like claimed the stage. I think she was doing like an improvised musical in some form, maybe even an opera, and uh, those always make me kind of sweaty, but not Kate, nope, she steps front and center and just belts it out, she's got a gorgeous voice, and I was like, she's all that and a bag of chips. I don't even need the bag of chips, she's just all that. And then through the years, we've worked together in corporate communications ways, and uh, we actually recount a couple of stories in our chat uh, that you'll hear later on. And, uh, you know, whenever I'm in New York, I always try to catch up with her because, you know, it makes my day way better. She's an extraordinary person. Not only does Kate write for Work in Progress, she has also written for Comedy Central, NPR, Slate, The Second City, The Band Fish, and a ton of awards shows. Kate was also the co-creator and writer of Schadenfreude, which was a nationally syndicated comedy show on Chicago Public Radio for two seasons. Super funny. All the people involved with Schadenfreude are just incredibly funny. And here's something that I'd never have enough time to talk to Kate about, but it's something kind of cool. Kate also writes material for Sir Patrick Stewart's personal award show appearances, like the Golden Globes or BAFTA Awards and many other things like that. I think it's such a wild little bit of trivia. Maybe one day you'll need it in a crossword puzzle or something. When Kate isn't writing, she has appeared on TV shows including Netflix's Easy, USA Network's Playing House, and Showtime's Shameless. She plays Trisha on the cult hit podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern, and is a regular contributor to the podcast, Trumpcast. And now she can add guest on the firecracker department. This is easily one of my biggest pleasures this week was chatting with Kate. And so let's get into it. Here's my friend, Kate James. I don't even have a podcast. I just wanted to see you. I I I would be fine with that. I would be like that checks out. That checks out. Sneaky sneakers. How do you look gorgeous? Look at you. You're all so shiny and glowy. I feel like I haven't had a shower I just want to catch up with you. I I know you're gonna be like. When we're talking, you're going to be like, what about you? And I'm like, it's not going to be about me, James. <laughs> so suck it. That's going to be very hard for me. God, Kate, I feel like I haven't seen you for 100 years. When was that that we saw each other in Midtown? Was that 18? Eight, no. Oh, my gosh. Was it 19? I don't know. I feel like we did a corporate gig together because you and I did a... We, we okay. facilitated together and it was one of yeah. the things that I refer to constantly, our experience. Because it was so, like, it went opposite of how yeah. we thought it went. Yeah. 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 And it we was were a like, they remember? hate us, right? And they were like, that was yeah. the best thing we've ever done. I know, we I know like, but then you okay. said, the thing that you said that resonated so much for me, Kate, was I remember looking over to you going, oh man, this one's tough. And you're like, well, you can't win them all. And you were just like letting it roll off your back. <laughs> 
And I was like, okay, because me, I'm so sensitive. I'm like, oh my God, they hate me. Oh, no. and, um, and then that other guy that stepped up and went, I just have to say one thing. And we were like, here it goes. That was the best facilitation we've ever had. And we should have more of these. And we're like, what's going on? That's and right. And you said, just the best of people. God, that doesn't sound like me. I. It sounds like <laughs> me to be like doing exactly the way you are reporting that you felt. Like I am such a like, oh no, I saw them like furrow their brow a little bit. Like they think this is so dumb. They think that this is so stupid and we're wasting their time. And the longer we've done this though, I'm just like, I try to be like, okay, so it's not their jam. Yeah. We, we can't be for everybody all the time, right? Yeah, like we're cilantro. Some people think we taste like soap. <laughs> <laughs> and I happen to love cilantro, so. Awesome. Is, this where, is this your apartment where you've been this whole time with the pandemic? And yeah, this is, yes, we're in Brooklyn, but we left for a big, big old chunk. In fact, when we did the panel uh, for work in progress, I was in Vermont. Oh. So yeah, we went to my in-laws. They were, God bless them. Steve's mom was like, um, please come to Vermont. What are you doing? Yeah. And we were like, okay. Like when things yeah. were not, you know, this is forever ago. When we were like, shit, this is really happening and it's not gonna get better. Yeah. And so we packed we up. That was that needs to run around. Correct. Oh God, that just feels like a lifetime ago and what a nightmare. But like by the time we rolled into Vermont, yeah, Thomas hadn't seen another child in 125 days. Oh my gosh. And they closed all the parks, the playgrounds here. And like we just really, yeah, there's like an outdoor space in our apartment area, like on the second floor. And the people that had kids here, we, we would take turns like running our kids. It was just, it was a real, yeah, it's a very surreal time. Were you writing through that? Were you creating through that? The beginning of it, yes. And then no. Yeah. And then just a hard no until, yeah, like I'm going to say two weeks ago, I was like, oh, I have an idea. But I went, I yeah. went through the biggest drought dormant of my entire life was not it was not oh, yeah. fun no because oh. it makes you like I mean I I, I kind of got into like producing mode but I was definitely craving and I still am like craving comedy like yes. craving hangout with comedy people where yes. like brunch turns into cocktails turns into dinner and you're just laughing so much you want to punch <sighs> yourself in the face which isn't a good reaction I, you know and this is so cliched but god we didn't know how good we had it like I, this was just like a big slap in the face to be like, did you realize, did you realize how, how abundant your life was? Like, yeah. Think of all the people we get the pleasure of interfacing with. I know. I mean, thank goodness we married funny people. No shit. Right. Yeah. I say it and all the time. Like there's a one point they're like, I think another lockdown's coming up and we're like, so be it. Yeah, we're having fine. a good time. It's all right. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. But then like, where did work in progress fall into that uh, storyline of in the past few years? We were, I think our writer's room was a 10 or a 12 week room. And I was flying back and forth 
from Brooklyn to Chicago. Yeah. So you stayed here with Thomas because Thomas was in pre-K at the time. And then I would fly out late Sunday nights and come back Friday nights. Yeah. And I think we were in week seven, maybe of 10 or 12. God, it's all a blur. Uh, when everything shut down. And then we went to Zoom, then we went remote for those final weeks. And then the season got altered because the studio wanted to write in COVID. So we had kind of mapped out this whole season and we were writing it when all of this took place. And then as it was taking place and it was very clear, they were like, a couple of reasons because Abby, the character of Abby is struggles with OCD. And I think they thought like, this is, this is fertile territory. And Abby agreed to be like, let's talk about how this is affecting people that have various different mental states, right? Like, where were you mentally when the pandemic hit and what did that mean for you? And then I think too, sneakily, they were like, if we write COVID into the season, it'll help us shoot. Yeah. You know, like maybe we can get started because it'll look like, I don't know. So then over the summer, a small, like little skeleton crew of us came back to rewrite the second half of the season. So that was maybe like another five weeks, but my work on that show was completely wrapped by August of 2020. Okay. So by the time it aired, started airing this August of 21, it had been a full calendar year since I had touched right. any of it. And so it just feels like yeah. a million years ago. Yeah, because you sort of hope to have like momentum yeah. with your career. <laughs> this is the I ideal. Mean, how impossible is that? Like I have such admiration for you as a comedian. And I think that you must have gone through this place of like, okay, I'm going to write now. And then that gets truncated. And then now what? Oh, COVID. Well, now my creative juices are truncated. Like, how did you, I don't know. How did you keep the fire going? I didn't. I didn't quite, quite frankly, I, I just didn't. And it was very weird and scary. And I mean, there were moments where I was like, well, it was a good run. <laughs> like, I guess I just... Really? Did you ever think that you might leave? Like, I can't imagine you no, ever leaving comedy. No, I didn't want to leave. No, I didn't yeah. want to leave. But there were moments where I was like, I don't recognize any of the world right now. There's no outlet. There's no like, oh, right. let me go wander down to IO and sit in with this fantastic group of women and like get a little buzz off of that. Or let me see my friends on a facilitation gig for Second City and see what people are doing. And, or let me say yes to this short film for free that a student I know is doing. Like there was just none of that. And then on top of it, what was uniquely, uh, I'm kind of obsessed with like, where you were or are in your life story when the pandemic hit, like how radically Uh different this experience was like for my niece who was a freshman in college and had to come home as opposed to my son who was in kindergarten and never went to school pretty much last year in person to, you know, like what if I was 29 and like living by myself in Chicago, like what all these different things, but this hit me as a mother. And then that became the headline, I think of, because it it just became apparent that (laughs) pun intended, 
it became apparent that I was a parent and I was going to have to be the parent because Steve was working full time in a very like, you know, he works on a nightly television show. So it's like they're on that first Zoom, go, 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 because they have to turn out a product by that evening. You know, he starts individual work around 7 a.m. His first Zoom is at 8.30. And depending, you know, some days he wraps by 5.30, some days he wraps by 7 p.m. So there was not a lot of give in his schedule. And Mm -hmm. I had a lot of give because I had wrapped work in progress and then we were launching into the school year. And so I was like, I'm the one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the one. It's not because Steve forced you to be like, guess what? No, lady? No. no, but it's like priorities shift. And you think Thomas is going to have to be the priority yep. at this point. The randomness, uh, the chaos yeah. of this moment. Like there have been lots of times where I've been fully employed and Steve has been freelancing. There's been times where we both have been freelancing and neither one of us has a steady gig. Like we, it'll be just a time happens. when Thomas is freelancing and you're both living off him. Like it'll be God <laughs> rotate. willing. He's going to become, <laughs> he's going to be a, a structural engineer or a, yes. like something like, what's uh, the kind secure. of engineering that does like systems and like flow analysis? There's like, there's, there's a name I for those engineers. Analysis engineering? Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. Obviously I don't know either. <laughs> but like that to me feels like something we're always going to need. So I'm like, do right. that. Do yeah. a real or, or yeah. be I always say to him, I'm like, you become a plumber. Those people I mean, are we're like always gonna need toilets. And they can charge yeah. a mint because nobody knows what they're doing anymore in their own house. So they're like, that'll be eight hundred dollars. And I'm like, great. Take yeah. all of it. Yeah. I mean, that must like because also you've been working, you know, you're a self-starter too. So to have a place where you're like, my creative tank is empty, I know it's empty. And I have nowhere to go to fuel up. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a great summary. And and then on top of it, because I have a lot of friends who expressed that same feeling. And then on top of it, there was a primal need at hand. There was a child that needed to get up every day and have somebody give them breakfast and then log on to their little Zoom kindergarten. And God love these kids. He doesn't know how to do a Zoom. So my friends that had older kids are just like, oh my God, you have to sit there. I'm like, yeah, he doesn't. I mean, by the end he knew how to mute and, but there were so many different apps to sign it. Like there was the morning meeting and then there was the remote asynchronous work that I had, you needed a parent at home to do that. Mm -hmm. And so what this is way bigger conversation but what was highlighted for me was like I had the privilege to say no to the few offers I got and say I have to prioritize this going on because my partner was gainfully employed Mm full-time there's so many people that were like I have to go to my job like I'm a med tech I have to show up at the you know that some of the parents that were helping Thomas's classmates, you just immediately saw who, who was able to accommodate this humongous disruption because of luck, privilege, timing, uh, you know, where they were in the world. Like 
we happened to live close to my in-laws. So we didn't have to get on a, like we could drive there and then stay there. Like that, that's a privilege. Like we, we were able to leave the city, which was a nightmare. It was, it was, it was, it was dire here. It was, it was dark and not a good vibe for a five-year-old, you know, like to be like, we just, we heard sirens constantly. And when I would go on my walks, like there were the trucks of dead bodies by the hospital where I would walk by Fort Greene Park, like not, yeah, just like, so then you just go into like, well, fuck it. Like, who am I to be like, but I like to create comedy. Like it just became like, I know. holy shit. I need, I need yeah. to like create a space for this five-year-old where he doesn't feel like the world is ending, even though we all thought it was. So it's yeah. like, it is, I mean, it became the greatest role of my life, you know, to be like, oh dear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it truly, like all we did in those early days was lie. <laughs> like, it's okay. You're going to be okay. Mom and dad are going to be okay. We'll probably get to see everybody soon. You're probably going to go back to school soon. Like, it's okay. You know, it, it was just, all I did was yeah. lie. Yeah, what a story. Like that kid, I think if I'm projecting the whole thing and being like, not hanging around kids for 125 days, like not yeah. having kid interaction. I mean, good thing you and you and Steve are immature enough to be able to play the games. It's but true. I mean, seriously, like you have comedy available to you. Can you imagine like somebody, like a parent that isn't that kind of parent and no judgment, but doesn't have play in them? No. No. And it, you know, it was the first time where I was like, damn, like we should have had another kid. Like, you know, I was just like, oh my God, right. like being an only child in this moment is, it was a unique situation. But luckily yeah. when we left and went to Vermont for that chunk of time, Thomas had a cousin who's exactly a year younger than him. And she's also an only child and they lived right down the road. So we became a two house pod group and he was able to, you know, play with her almost every day. And it, that was just a complete game changer because all of a sudden he had somebody to do stuff with and it created more time for me, you know, when I would have occasional work, but yeah, it just like, it, I mean, this feels like very deep and dark, but I, I just felt like somebody flipped a, like a primal switch in my brain that was like, what you do is expendable in this moment there that's not cool <laughs> but like if somebody had been paying me to show up full time somewhere I'd be like right now what I do is so important I create television but that wasn't the case like I was in between projects so I was like I can't really go hunting for new stuff because it's just going to yeah. disrupt our system here because we weren't bringing childcare into our house like we were trying to keep it not that people wanted to come in you know at that point and mm -hmm. take care of kids but yeah it's just and I swear to it's October end of October 2021 or mid-October I should say and I just now I'm like oh and I think a large part of it is because my kid is leaving and going to school every day and right. so now I'm yeah I'm I was like, gonna ask like did you did you like when was the moment that you're like oh there's a spark of my old comedy self about two weeks ago. I mean, they, there's, 
been stuff here and there. I, I don't mean to paint this picture like I've been wearing a black shroud and like. <laughs> no, I don't see that. I just think the priorities changed. I think like, yeah, as you said, it shifted. It was, I was so jealous of like people that were like, so I'm working on this thing and I've written a couple chapters of a, and I was like, right. how is how? your brain doing that right now? I felt like when we go in and we teach corporate people about improv, I felt like one of those people was like, how do you do that thing where you yeah. have, and I'm just like, you just do like, let go, have fun. And all of a sudden yeah. I was like, how do you make a thing that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do like something in my brain was just like, no, <laughs> not for yeah. you. You know, it's interesting because I've, I've been speaking to for people who perform live, whether it's like music or comedy, and there's a discussion about the new performers that we are now, like, because yeah. I think things have changed. Like I was speaking to one of our firecrackers, Alyssa, and she was talking about um, playing music. And she said, like, I've, I've shifted. Something has shifted in me because I haven't been part of the hustle that we had to have, I guess, like yes. in the past. Have you noticed that in yourself? Like, I mean, it's only been two weeks. Have you written your pilot? Have you got your feature? <laughs> done? Uh, but it, can you feel like a shifting in your, in your art? Yes. And, and what's interesting is I haven't performed live yet. I had an opportunity to last month and I had to pass on it because I had an opportunity to travel. And when I came back, I had to you know, I was like, let's play it safe. This would be really dumb for me to get off this flight and be like, I'm doing a show. Like, so right. I, <laughs> I stepped away from that, you know, which some people can do because they're not living with an unvaccinated child. Like there's just so much about my regular work life that I'm like, whoa, this really turns everything on its, on its ear. I was really excited to maybe do those shows that would have been at the end of August. And I we were going to do two shows in a night. And I jokingly said that I was going to like spend the first 15 minutes of each show, like hugging each audience member and yeah, like, right. and then like having like a gentle leap. And then yeah, doing some I, comedy. I don't know if I want to be on that improv stage when we all get back at it. People are going to have their like sharp elbows up being like, sorry, buddy, this is my stage. <laughs> Yeah, when it was just going to be a two-person show with me and Steve, so I could have trampled all over him. He would have yeah. had to, <laughs> legally. He would have had to have let me. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I I really miss it. I didn't. Again, yeah. I took for granted how many opportunities I had, and I'm just like, man, I I really I really miss it a lot. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think it was like, or what do you think it is that performing gives you that you can't get from you know, like I think work in progress is a really unique opportunity because you all seem to be, you know, like in a, in a pod together, like it does yeah. feel really special. So yeah. even like when you talk about like, I'm doing a comedy show, I actually think that there's huge value in what we're doing, especially something like work in progress. I think that's a story that needs. To I do too. I do too. I, I'm, I make light. I make light because I, I, truly what what is the one thing we've all been able to do while we've been locked away is consume art right like yeah turn on the television they consume a lot of pasta <laughs> bread pizza well yeah me too yes. me too yeah. i mean that's but been like true. this one safe outlet is for all of us to be like have you watched fill in the blank and you know to yeah. kind of connect with other people so i was being very hard on myself about 
it not providing service, but I think when you're performing live, it feels to me like um, exercising. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, this is good. Mm -hmm. Like my body likes this and my brain likes this. And it, it just always, you know, sometimes you drag yourself out to a show and you're like, oh no. And then you're like, that felt really good. And it, even if it was kind of an average, you know, show, if you're, if you're doing mm -hmm. improv, you still got to see people that you like presumably mm -hmm. and like you know when we do the corporate facilitation it's like you get to hang out with people that fill your soul like i i i'm yeah. craving that and me too just so that you know i did a corporate gig the other day and with matt and it was like on a green screen so there was no like performer or there was no audience but we were working so hard to make that crew of two people laugh like it was so satisfying <laughs> to make you know just the camera person giggle a little bit so I, I get it. You'll find an audience anywhere. My son Thomas started going back to school. Uh, he went to school for a couple months in the spring last year. And so I'm for the first time seeing these kids that you've been looking at on Zoom for months and months. And then also meeting the parents at drop off and pick up. And um, one of the moms, like a couple of weeks in, she's like, can I ask you a question? And I was like, sure. You know, total, we're all masked up. We're, can't go in the school. So we're all outside the school. And she's like, are you in comedy? And I was like, yeah, well, why? She goes, I don't know. I was talking to my husband. I was like, she's funny. And I'm, I'm not doing a type five at drop off. <laughs> but like, I was like, what? Sure, Kate, you did a type <laughs> five. Who's kidding who? Your audience is like the, the mother of one. It's one mother is your audience. That's all you need. This is my point. I was like, yeah. I don't, these interactions are fleeting, right? You're like saying goodbye to your child, you're mm, bye, and then you're off to whatever your day is. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like there's a vibe I put out that this woman picked up on mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. even in the smallest interactions, like you said, you and Matt were like, gonna make this dude laugh behind the 100%. camera. I was like, okay, maybe this is my audience of three this morning at the drop-off. I don't know, it cracked me up and it, it made me sad. And, but also it connected me with, you know, that woman and, and she's a creative person too. So I was like, we, we sniff each yeah. other out. She was like, yeah, I, I recognize this. And, it, and yeah. there is something larger in that right it's like somebody in that moment recognized the old me and I was like oh yeah I mean yeah no but yeah like uh, there's something I was giving off that I was like oh this is encouraging <laughs> yeah I mean it does it feels like you know starting at Second City and then with like your your troop schadenfreude it feels like you were always you had writing in your mind as a future thing did you yes I did. I Isn't did. Was that always part of the plan? Always, always. If you had asked me early on, I was like, I want to write for television. I want to, I've always been fascinated with that. And with Schadenfreude, which was my sketch group in Chicago, we, everything was written. We didn't do any improv. So that, it wasn't, that wasn't our goal when we got together. But I, I look back now and I'm like, well, there's my 10,000 hours plus yeah of no kidding. writing and churning and because our whole gimmick was we did shows every Friday and Saturday first it was every Friday then we did every Friday and Saturday and we would swap out one or two things every week so that if 
you came back in five or six weeks, you'd see almost a whole new show. So we were churning it out. You know, we were young and, (laughs) you know, don't you marvel at that time in your life when you're like the energy. Yes, because we all worked full-time jobs. Yeah. You know, we all had real jobs to pay our rent. And then we would meet two or three nights a week at somebody's apartment. And then we would do shows on Friday and then Friday and Saturday. And yeah, it was, it, it was a lifestyle. You could say. No kidding. Yeah. Was there a time that you felt like, Oh, I'm going to have to do something else. Like, or did you keep your eye on the prize the whole time? I tried to, I, I think looking back now, I don't know if this is, was helpful or not. It was a decision I made early on. I I didn't understand how people could have an okay life making the money that they paid on touring company. I was like, how does that work? Like, no, are you either you're, I I was like, this doesn't work. You're selling drugs on the side. Something's on the side. Something is happening there. Like you've (laughs) either. Yeah. So that, I just didn't understand it. So I was like, I understand if I get, I have a day job that I like, which I was really fortunate to have a couple of them while I was in Chicago. And then I just got a hustle on like the nights and weekends. And I was grateful that so many of my peers were doing the same thing. So it didn't really feel like I was missing out Mm -hmm. or I remember very, very consciously make when I got into the, um, conservatory at second city they were they offered I think they offered two different times for the level one or maybe there was like three level ones when I started you're either two two or three class options and two of them were at night and one was Tuesdays from four to seven and I was like I'm gonna pick that one because I bet that will have the most people in it that are serious about pursuing art. Like, cause right. if you have the people that can go in, I was totally wrong. I was totally wrong. Like I ended, everything ended up getting shaken up and then the classes were reconfigured. All the guys in Schadenfreude were in the um, Thursday night class. Like, I remember I had to sub into a class cause I missed, I traveled and they were like, you can make up a class. And I went to that class and I was like, this is all my people. Oh, yeah. It was great, but I like did this whole mental, like who can take class on Tuesday at four? An artist can. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, that's kind of an interesting perspective though. I, A, the fact that you were like, I don't know, evil genius about your career. (laughs) Yeah. But then also that you considered it art. And I mean, I just, I have this discussion with folks a lot about like the balance between like I'm quote air quoting, but like our brand and then our art. And a lot of people pursue comedy without even realizing it's, it is art. Yeah. Where, where did you get that perspective of your career? That's a great question. I don't know. I think once I decided to move to Chicago after I graduated from college, I wanted to give it enough of a try to see if it could be a career, but I knew I enjoyed it enough to do it, even if I couldn't support myself doing it for a long time. And that to me kind of feels like the definition of art. I I think that like art feels like this additive special 
it's not a commodity or it's not like commercialized. So I think the fact that it is hard to make a living as a working artist probably helped my definition of like, well, you go to work yeah. to make your money, but then you do your art over here. And I knew yeah. that there was the unicorn possibility of making a living being an artist because I had seen examples of it in my own life. So I knew that that was attainable. I just wasn't completely sold that it was attainable for me. I think I'm just too practical. I'm like painfully practical as a person. I'm like, well, let's look at the reality of this. And it gets in my way sometimes, and but in a lot of ways it's it's helped me. I kind of think making a living at what we do is a, is a little bit like winning the lottery because my God, you, we I know so many people that are just, it, just insanely talented, mm-hmm. but don't like their tax return wouldn't show the majority of their income coming from this art form. And so I think yeah. it's a real, I think there's a lot of luck and timing involved. Oh God, yeah. And so I just, yeah. I never thought like, oh, this is a guarantee. No, God, no, I still don't. What are you talking about? Like, you know, what I know. I mean? like, there's, I, no, yes. there's no guarantee. Yeah, there was a theater company that used to exist in Toronto, Canada called Die in Debt. And their theory was that you'd, I'd rather die in debt and do what you love rather than, oh man, practice something you don't love, which, which it makes sense to me. Like I, I would much rather wake up in the morning and have a day full of hustle or brainstorming new ideas than go to my job that I don't, I don't care about. Me too. Yeah, me too. And I remember it was in 2008 when enough of my freelance stuff was like picking up that I was like, I think I I was working for a production company at the time. So I was still in the industry, but I was working as sort of like a line producer, you know, like I was in charge of the budgets and booking the crews and all that stuff. So I liked it, but wasn't my main passion, but it was in 2008 that I was like, I think I think I'm going to quit. And that was when, that was the last time I've worked a full-time office job. And I quit, (laughs) I quit the month, the entire market crashed. Like I, I quit. Yeah. I quit in the fall of, of 08, which makes me laugh. So then immediately everything that I was like kind of building as a freelancer came crumbling down and I was like, what have I done? But I, stuck with it there was some rocky there were some rocky years there I was like oh boy but thankfully you know things picked up and you know and I never considered like I love facilitating like in this improv world Mm -hmm. I love it so much I've never considered that a real job I'm always like they're gonna pay us how much to do this I know I know because so, it's like it's the best treat. Like you go in, you have some laughs with people that don't normally get to have those laughs. Yeah. And you shift things. It's I I mean, I love it. I'll never belittle that kind of work. Me either. And I do know some people that were like, oh, this is, you know, they they I think they likened it to an office job that wasn't aligned with their goals. Mm-hmm. But I, I just was like, I I feel like I'm robbing a bank. Like I just I couldn't believe. Like you're gonna fly me to a fantastic city like New Orleans with two yeah. friends that I hang out with anyway. <laughs> and then we're gonna like get a per diem so we can go get a yeah. fancy dinner 
And we're going to stay in a nice hotel because the corporate yeah. client is staying in a nice hotel. I mean, they're not all like that. Sometimes they're like, no, oh, no but honestly, it. like I'm such a sucker. You'd be like, it's a motel on the side of the road and you get a bottle of booze. Thank you. This is going to be great. <laughs> I know. As long as it's a couple of fun people. That's it. That's, yeah. that's it. It's like you get to hang with fun people and do a thing that's fun and then cash a check. I'm like, sign me up. But now with your practicality though, how do you balance the practicality version of Kate James when we're in a very impractical career? Like there's a certain amount of like, you know, like like what I was referring to before, like that brand, that's brand awareness, like the hustle that you have to do to make your career happen. And that takes away from your art sometimes. Like how do you balance that? I don't know that I do. I think I try to say yes to as much as I can that comes across my table or my email mm-hmm. inbox. Sometimes I'm like, why did I say yes to this? You know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. more often I'm so glad I did. And then I don't know. It, for me, it's just saying yes to cool things. And I probably mm-hmm. could and should be, and this is one of my goals as I emerge from this weird slumber of a time is to be better about my self-promotion because I know you can relate to this. It's like a lot of our opportunities are afforded to us because we've cultivated great friendships and relationships. Mm -hmm. And so things come up for us that aren't necessarily like, oh yeah, I saw that jobless thing and I went after it and I got it. Like, you know, somebody who refers you or you did a thing with this person and now they're doing this thing, which I think is, 95% 95% business, but yeah. I do, there are people in our industry that I'm like, oh, you're good. Like you're constantly hustling for the next thing while you have this. I'm not so good at that. I'm a little like, look at the thing I'm doing right now. And then it ends of like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I that's, forgot to I mean, line up. Said about that too. Like, I don't know. I think there's, there's this machine that we're on sometimes that isn't the healthiest as far as creating art. Like you know, doing work in progress, it felt like you were like, no, my feet are in the game right now. I haven't got one foot out thinking about the next thing. And I think that really gave that show the heart that it has because everybody was like, oh no, this is special. And I know it is. Yeah. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think for that writer's room in particular, it was a lot of people that have been at this for a long time that have been given an opportunity for the first time. At, a, at another right. level it was like oh no now you're gonna do this and you're like okay you know but we were a room full of people that were as cheesy as it sounds we were just grateful to be there and then a lot yeah. of us knew each other going in so that felt like a dream I felt like a dream I was like yeah. you are gonna pay me to come to I- Chicago <laughs> every week a city that I love with my whole heart and live in an apartment building. It felt like we were in college because they, all of us were in from out of town as writers from LA, New York, and Sam was coming in from Michigan. And so they put us up in, um, you know, like apartment housing down in the loop, which I've never lived in the loop. Like that felt funny to me to like live downtown and have that life that was never my life. But then we all were in this apartment building and we would like, (laughs) 
we would carpool to work in the morning because two of the writers had their cars. So we'd all like pile into the two cars and we'd be like, who needs to stop for coffee? And I think that's, I don't know what saved us because we were already operating as such a weird pod even before like the pandemic really ramped up and people were like, um, maybe you shouldn't be eating out or like those final weeks before we all got sent home, which is really weird. And then we'd all go to work every day. I, I don't know. I've heard people talk about projects like this where you're like, this is a dream. And it was. Yeah, we're one big happy family. And you're like, mm, are you? <laughs> and actually, like, but when I, I remember doing the panel with y'all and, and even talking to Celeste about the project or Marion, I, I could just see like, I don't know, there was a deeper investment in it. Maybe because you'd seen it grow with Abby yeah. in Chicago or I don't know, there was such a... Um, I don't know. Do you play this game too when you're when you're part of projects like that? Of like when I'm show running my show, I'm gonna do this. I'm not gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. Do you have that kind of list? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Paint the picture for me for the Kate James show. I realized through work in progress how many people are ready to play at a different level, but just need to be given the opportunity. And it's mm-hmm. so hard to level up. Like when you're applying to do the next thing, whether it is like be a showrunner when you've only been a writer or get into a writer's room or get staffed on a show. You know, I think about like, I've written packets for a million late night shows and Steve is now working on one and we talk about it all the time. It's like, there's so many people that are ready to do the job. And then Mm -hmm. it just at certain points becomes a lottery. So I think for me, if I ever had the opportunity, I would want to focus on like, bringing up as many people as I could and then also peppering it with people who know what they're doing so that the people who aren't quite sure they have that like ease about trying and failing because Mm -hmm. that felt that felt intimidating to me for work in progress I was like oh my god what if they give it to all of us and then we don't know what we're doing but luckily we had some people surrounding us that were like it's fine like you know what you're doing, you're going to do it. That to me would be the magic combination to be like, yeah, bringing people up, giving them, giving them that next credit so that they can like go on from there and then protecting them so that they weren't constantly shitting their pants. Yeah. But it's also weird because, you know, we're not 20 and you're not going into a writer's room for the first time going, well, I'm 20. I'm not supposed to know anything. Like there's a certain amount of people going, Oh no, Kate knows what she's doing. She's been around the industry yeah. for a long time. You're like, this is this is nuts. This is like Yeah. No, that's incredibly intimidating. And it and I think too, I mean, we could talk about this for hours about like how you this narrative that I've been sold of that, like you age out at a certain point, like that mm-hmm. you're no longer allowed to want certain things if they haven't happened to you by a certain age. And it, I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, but it cracks me up. Like when people are like, hey, you know, I'm 54 and I just sold my first book deal. Like it's never too late. And they're always so inspiring, but I always like, cause I've seen a few that are like, listen, I didn't get my first television writing credit till 29. And I'm like, 29? 
And I'm like, Oh God. And then you simultaneously want to be like, shut the fuck up. And also yeah. like, I'm a billion, but then the release is, and we know this and you just have to like, keep telling yourself, it's like, it's all relative. It's like, everybody is constantly feeling behind or not where they thought yeah. they were going to be, or that it's too late or like every older person that I've ever taken anything from is like, shut up and do the work right now. Like you're going to look yeah. back in five years and be like, I never looked better. I net right. And you're just like, Oh, but I, you know, it's like, just, I think it's so funny that we as human beings are like, at a certain point, I will feel caught up on my life and I will feel like I my know. age. No, it's just not going to be, we're going to, I'm, we're all going to die wanting to do one more joke. Yep. Like, you know, yep. and if, if we can all kind of come to, I, I don't know, you know, like my father passed away this past year and like, he was like an established chemistry professor internationally, you know, like he was, he was nominated for a Nobel prize. He was like at the, like a good top of the game. He did, he did the thing. He did the thing and he affected like hundreds of students to create science. So you would think that's pretty satisfying. And I remember him looking at me going, meh, no big fanfare, Naomi. And I think that's more realistic than thinking there's going to be a big fanfare. <laughs> I no, don't know. he, but, and he knew, he knew that he was dying. Yes. He was yeah. ill. So mm -hmm. he, he was yeah. able to have like that reflective moment. Yeah. Right. Like, do you think that he meant that there never will be much fan? Like we all live our life and then that's kind of it. Or do you think that he was saying, huh I kind of hoped that there would be and there's not what how do you how do you read that comment because it really cracks me I up. think he, I think that he thought there'd be more fanfare I think he thought there'd be more like of a parade and and I and I you know it was sad for me too because he'd worked so hard that I wanted him to have those things but the reality is like like I think as you said like I felt like I was behind since I was 21 and so I'll yeah. never catch up and I'll never, I'll, you just have to do the work that makes you happy, I guess. I don't know. I don't have any answers, but. I don't either. I get like, and I find myself constantly being like, well, why don't you just try to do it? Like I, the, going yeah. back to the practical side of me, I think I can talk myself out of things based on the optics that I see around me. It's like, well, your chances of getting this accomplished seem pretty diminished based on, I'm like, I don't know, Abby McEnany is the perfect example of this story where she's just like, no, I'm, I've never done this. I'm in my early fifties and I'm doing it for the first time. Like I have enough experience to support the opportunity, but what who would bet on that scenario right like if you laid out the, I mean, if you laid out that project and you're like yeah. what do you think the odds are of this woman who's in her early 50s who's never been in the industry selling a show about herself I would just be like I'm not betting on that not because I don't believe in her I don't believe in the industry right. yeah I mean I was so, gonna say you meet, you meet Abby for two seconds and you're like oh no I'll bet I'll yes. bet on this because right. There's, right there's a vivaciousness that you believe in it's similar like 
the way you speak, the way you approach your comedy, I'm like, I'll, I'll bet on the Kate James horse, not to call you horse, but I'll bet on, I'll bet. <laughs> because I think that it's, it's, that's, what's going to resonate. But I do think, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's just where my brain's at, but I think there's a certain level where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be the Abby McEnany. I'm going to be the person that is like, wow, I can't believe that happened. And then you can only believe in that so much before the world around you goes, well, it's not true. You're going to have to get a time machine and go back to when you were 21 and get, you know, do the work then. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, I look at your career too. And I think, I feel like you're just stepping into your power now. In I, I do too. And my thing that I've like started telling my I was like well god this this actually tracks like I've had a really great career and life but like things have clicked for me later than you would imagine I don't even say like they should have or I thought they would have or people would have led me to believe they would have like I you know, got married to Steve at 40. I had my first child at 41. Like for me, when people are like, I'm going to be 40, I'm like, bitch, everything changed for the better when I turned 40. Like I married the love of my life. I have this incredible child. I live in a city that I love. Like I have a, I have a really good life. In my thirties, I also had a really good life, but it just wasn't exactly what I was like aiming for at the time. It had great elements to it, surrounded by a lot of people I love, but it just wasn't, I don't know. So whenever people are like, I was talking to somebody yesterday and he goes, well, God, I'm going to be 30 in a year. And I was like, your 30s are so much better than your 20s. Your 40s are so much better than your 30s, or at least for me, they are, which makes me believe like, maybe like most of my career success is going to be in my fifties. Like I'm 47 now. I'll be 48 in a couple months. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, don't know, know. Either, but it does feel like you found a balance. Like you do have this quality of life with Thomas and Steve that is supported by the work as opposed to it's just the work. Do you know? Like it does feel yes. like you've hit a stride that it's not like, you know, like twenties, thirties. As, as we both did, like we were at the improv theaters yeah. seven nights a week. Yeah. And what kind of balance is that? It was a good time, it, but it's not, not it's not a balance. Yeah. And you, it's hard to like maintain a real relationship while you're doing that. And it's, there's a lot that kind of sacrifice happens because of it. But again, I, I think like that's the bill of goods that were sold. It's like, you better yeah. be hustling and you better be creating these opportunities. And like oh my god I'm freaking exhausted and then when I kind of like took a little bit of like a reframe break I'm like oh oh okay like I can I can actually have a lot more I don't know I feel like I'm speaking in platitudes do I sound like a plaque no I think proof's in the pudding the proof's in the Kate James pudding because I look at like (laughs) you know you have established yourself you took the pandemic to sort of like it it shook up a little bit but yeah. as you said, like, I do think that there's a, I don't know, a wisdom, but also playfulness about hitting where you are in your career that I think I, I do. I'm excited to see what happens next. I feel like work in progress is like the a door to a new playground for you. Oh my God. From your mouth to. I'm telling you. The, the, well, I don't know but, whose ears, but yeah, 
I just, um, that's, that's my goal. Like I want to be working consistently. I just love television. Like I want to be, you know, like my ideal situation would be like, I've got a couple months on this show and then I do a couple months yeah. on this show. And then, you know, it's super fun to pop up on screen too. I've realized that writing is kind of my first love, but I don't, I don't want to. And then Miriam comes along. He didn't want to do it. No, I did want to do it. How I deny people the no, joy? I did want to. I love that character. What Abby's, what Abby loves to tell people, and this is true, but I have a reason for it, is that in the writer's room for season two, she kept trying to create situations where my character would come back. And I was like, this is not necessary. Like, this makes no sense from what story, but she's like, shut the fuck up. I'm trying to like get you an episode. And like, so Miriam ended up being in one episode, but then I couldn't shoot. And so now it's played by the, like, it's, it's like Miriam Doppelganger played by Beth Maluski, which brings me such joy. If any of your listeners know, she's a brilliant Chicago improviser who has gone back to school to study medicine. That's the other thing about being the age we are is that I know a lot of people that are transitioning into yeah. their, their next career. And it's just like so exciting to watch these people be yeah. like, you can do that. Like, I can't do yeah. that. Like all these people now, like one of the old stage managers at Second City, Megan Teal, brilliant woman. She left the industry and got a full ride to law school and is not like, she's just going, she's probably going to be on the yeah. Supreme Court before my life is over and I'm like wait that's no fair you could do all the shit we were doing and and I don't have I'm not hiding some secret second career I mean anyway if you could have you would have though like we both would have found something else to do yeah we this is it yeah yeah that's what I always say I'm like no I would have chosen something a lot easier I think yeah are you writing you know. your own thing now? Is that like now that you've had Thomas in daycare for two weeks? You're- <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're like, is your pilot done? I'm right. taking How's meetings. I am pitching. To- Let me see your portfolio. <laughs> I am working. This is actually fun. Like I'm in the brainstorm early baby stages of creating something with my brother, Brian, and one of our cousins. We kind of like have this idea. And we're kind of seeing if we can just, again, it's in its infancy, but we get on calls together and it's funny and weird and fun. So there's that. And I'm like, just trying to do more, like for the very first time in my life yesterday, I submitted a piece to the New Yorker, probably a long shot, but I'm like, why am I not doing this stuff? Like, I'm just, I I just am like, I no longer care. Like, I'm just going to be like, how about this? How about this? How about this? So there's a few projects in their infancy that are kicking around that I, that they're, it's just exciting to think about. Another Mm -hmm. friend is like, I might want to start this project and maybe you could help me. And I'm like, yeah, I think I could. So it just feels like all of a sudden there are conversations that are exciting to me. It feels like the world's opening up a little bit more. And I have the ability to say like, i physically have an hour to get on the phone and talk about this where last year that didn't that felt like when I did have it it felt like kind of hard to do so yeah I don't know we'll see I don't I who who knows 
yeah, that's okay. Like to not know is, you know, it's part of our, part of our jam. It is. Thank God. Yeah. Cause that's all we're doing these days is not knowing what's going to happen next. Yeah. It's weird. Like, I feel like we just lived through a, like a year and a half of uncertainty and there's part of me that's like, okay, let's get, let's start to find some certainties. Okay. That was a good time for a year and a half, but aren't you sort of like, I'm grasping at like, I just need to know one certainty. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. And I find myself, I find my brain again, the practical part of my brain will travel down the, the very real scenarios that are possibly around the corner, you know, like having to do a level of quarantining again, once the weather gets cold or, the school's going remote for a chunk of time if the cases mm-hmm. spread here or because then that just is a ripple effect about like, all right, that changes my day and it changes my focus and it changes. So I try not to think too much about those things, but mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who can't stop thinking about them. It's like, it's made yeah. us into, um, for better, or for worse, like disaster readiness yeah. characters. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're equipped now, like, you know what, if we go into lockdown, we know how to do that. If Thomas has to come home and do homeschool, yep. you, you get that muscle. Yep. Yeah. I know how to, I don't like it. I don't want to know how to do it. <laughs> I don't want to, I feel like a little whiny. I feel like we're to the point where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to yeah. do it anymore. Like I, I'm done. And I know everyone's like, no shit. We all are, but yeah. What I don't do? know. I don't yeah. know. I truly don't. I mean, know. speaking of that, I don't. I, this is the saddest part because if we were sitting in a bar in New York, I'd be just like, "I'm just going to order another glass of wine for us, right, Kate?" And we'd be like, "Yeah, I think that feels right." But podcast-wise, people are like, "No, you need to wrap it up." <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Land the plane, ladies." That's right. I'm almost um, done on my treadmill the- run. <laughs> That's right. This is giving you an extra good workout, everybody who's listening to this. I'm letting you're you have welcome. An extra- you're welcome. Um, we do the turn the tables and you can ask me a question. I love you it. I, do. I love how excited I do. your eyes just got. Oh, <laughs> I, because these, these things are, they're fun, but they're hard for me because it doesn't feel like a real conversation. I mean, it does feel like a real conversation, but I, I have yeah. to be like, there's so many moments where I'm just like, but tell me about the, you know. I know you're such an empathetic. I knew that like going into this discussion, uh, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what about you? What's going on? I'm like, that's not how this no, works. No, my, my family makes fun of me because I'll just be like, what's your story? Like to a- anybody, yeah. they'll be like, why were you talking to the car rental guy for so long? And I'm like, did you know? that?" <laughs> and they're like, no, we didn't know. And nobody fucking cares. Okay. What, sometimes it annoys the people I'm with um okay uh here's my question for you and this might this is kind of a broad one so you might be like oh god I gotta think about this what in your career didn't go as planned and in fact might have been the exact opposite of what you wanted to have happen but ended up leading to like positive things I know it's like a really hard one but I was just talking with friends about the things that we think are the biggest impediments sometimes lead us to like these situations and people that we were like, I never thought this would happen. Gosh, that is really hard. Do you have one? I know. Sorry. But it is a big no, I want to, I want to hear yours. That my, I, I have an idea. Yeah. I think 
for me, there have been very specific things I didn't get. Like I applied to write for XYZ show and I didn't get it. And I was like, ah, this was supposed to, like I convinced myself that this was the thing. And then a, a different opportunity came along that I never would have been able to say yes to. And then like, as time goes on, I'm trying not to name names here and out people. But then you find out that that initial project, kind of a disaster. Nobody's right. really happy working on it. It, it either doesn't go to fruition or, but you, I've convinced myself like this is going to be, I meant for this thing. I'm perfect for it. It's exactly what I want. And I don't get it. And I'm devastated. And then I'm like, oh, here's why I didn't That's get right. it. Because enter. Mm -hmm. And I would have been booked. I would have been working on something else. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, that happens think, with people too sometimes. Yeah, I think it's mostly like the the dynamics of people. Like I have pitched two shows. I pitched many shows in my lifetime, but these two almost went. And if I and then they they were like second choice, and somebody else's show went instead of mine. So yeah, like I mean, you know, not devastating because it's not a life or death, but it was like really disappointing. <laughs> yeah. And now looking back, I I thought you know the dynamics of that team would have killed me it would have ruined friendships would have yes. been awful so I still would have liked to have had that journey I know I know I'm just like this is supposed to happen and now I look then and this is you only get this with age and you're like yeah. oh my god thank Christ we didn't get that opportunity like yeah well, it would have been a disaster. Life, like you were set up in Los Angeles. You had a home and boxes were unpacked. And then, and then Steve got the job in New York and you're like, yeah, turn it around, yeah. turn this bus yeah. around. The truly, I find it amusing part was that we spent one year, like a calendar year in Chicago being like, should we go to LA or New York? LA, or we would talk about right. it. We'd brainstorm, we'd make lists. We'd talk to people who lived in both areas. We'd look at rental prices. Like we did so much dreaming, scheming, planning. And then we got out there and we were there for five months. With We didn't move out there with jobs. And then he got a job on the East Coast. And I was like, well, fuck us. Like that to me, I'm just like, <laughs> I mean, you're just, whatever. Like, it's just going to happen how it happens. But like me as the planner was like, let's make lists and color code oh, yeah, shit. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm like, in that precipice right now with Los Angeles. Because we lived in Los Angeles for five years and I'm back yes. in Canada. And I'm like, what, what was that? And how did, I don't know what it was yet. Right now I feel like disappointing because it wasn't what I imagined it to be uh -huh. but I know I have to keep believing the idea that it was something that was good for the future well I know I know it was I know it was you just don't know how it was yet mm -hmm. but also like maybe here's my second question do I get two questions yeah yeah you just because you're Kate James do you think that you will ever return to LA I'm trying to listen to my gut I'm trying to not go against the flow of life a little bit and it feels like the idea of moving back to LA and living in a one-bedroom cement apartment away from nature and healthcare doesn't feel great to me when trust I can your, do all my moving online yeah I don't know I really miss like I miss I miss the potential of LA I miss like what it could be 
I totally get that. Yeah. I totally get that. But just as everything has shifted for all of us, like mentally with the pandemic, physically we've shifted too. And I think it's really interesting. Like two years ago, you'd be like, I can't be running this business out. of. I need to be there. I need to be on the ground. Like, and now everyone's like, I don't care where you are. Does your internet work? So that feels... It feel, yeah. that feels monumental to me yeah and it's also like it's also like like what we've been talking about like like age too of going like oh man if I was in my 20s I'd be like yeah let's get back there let's get back into it but I'm not and I kind of go where do I want to be healthy where do I want to yeah you know where does that and I feel best um and and you know there's certain parts of Los Angeles that I do I crave like the projects there are so exciting to me like I get mm-hmm. scripts from Los Angeles. I'm like, oh, these are funny. These are just re- readily funny. And, um, you know, in the community that we built up. So I don't know. I'm, we're, right, we're right in this discussion like this week. So you've hit Ooh. the stride. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have a I mean, pod of our life back in Los Angeles. We have like, you know, like we put everything into storage thinking we would be back in four months. And here we are a year and four months. Isn't that um, wild? Yeah. We'll have to regroup on this conversation when, you know, when I see the results of not being there or results of that five years in Los Angeles. I know. I, I'm, that's really interesting to me because I feel like this is me being kumbaya and hippy dippy and very positive. But I think you've planted a lot there that you, you have no idea what's already growing just because of the mm. time the the face time you put into that city the people that feel connected to you that wouldn't feel as connected to you if you hadn't been there physically mm-hmm. even like yeah. think about I don't know if we would have kind of you know because like because you guys were mm-hmm. LA based it meant like I got to meet you and Matt on some like there's interesting stuff there I mean I mm-hmm. think about what I'm trying to say is meeting me was the end all be all of you guys moving to LA. It changed my life. It that changed came off real crazy, but uh, you know what I mean. Like your decision to be there opened you up to a community of people it that really, really loves you guys and like uh, respects the work that you do. And I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. th- I think, I think yeah. you don't yet know. And I don't, I, also, I think, and I think that I'm of your brain too, of the planning brain where I'm like, can I just know what six months looks like from here, please? Yeah. And that's not possible. No, I know. I hate it. I hate, I hate it. it. What do we do? Okay. I'm going to wrap it up. I have some firecracker wrap up questions, but again, uh, my producer just texted and she's like, how did it go? I'm like, it's still going. Oh God. So, um, <laughs> all right. Fill in the, bro- here we'll go. We'll do the um, wrap up questions. Fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is. Somebody who is unapologetically themselves. I love it. I love it. What do you want to be best known for? Being kind. If your life was a movie, what would be like the climactic turning point that changed your future? Deciding to take a risk on turning a friendship into a romantic relationship. Best choice. Best choice ever. I love the team of Kate and Steve. I love it so much. It's like, yeah. It's it like felt very risky at the time. 
now yeah. I'm like, what were we so worried? Like, why was I, you know, looking back, yeah. like, what, what, what was your problem? But at the time I was like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Um, what's something that people don't know about you? I think that I'm sillier that, than people think I am. And I'm more serious than people think I am. That there's makes people a hundred percent. There are sense. people yeah, in my life that think that I'm like, oh, you just must be always. And I'm like, no, I'm deadly serious and it's awkward. And then people who know me to be kind of a serious person are like, you do comedy that don't know me from that world. Yep. No, hundred percent. That makes sense. Um, what's been your favorite mistake and what did you learn from it? I think it would be, and I'm thinking of a few different times where I just didn't really know what I was doing and I showed up anyway. I don't know if that's a mistake, but um, <laughs> I just found myself in situations where I was like, well, uh, let's see how this goes. This is, wasn't the plan. And, I, and I've always surprised myself. I've always been like, oh, you know more than you think you do. You have more experience than you give yourself credit for. So there have been situations that I don't think I was supposed to be in where I was like, uh-oh. And then I was like, well, we're going to try it. I love it. I love it. What's something you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do? Travel the world. I just, I miss traveling. And I, in my ideal life, I make enough money to have a semi-retirement, like in my seventies and I'm healthy enough to just go everywhere I've ever wanted to go. I, I have to do that before I check out. Yeah. I get it. I get that. This is sort of a weird question, but I've been working on the idea of power and asking people where they find their power. In the quietness is, mm. is where I yeah. find it. Either, either by choosing not to share or talk, like just resting in myself, not trying to justify. I think sometimes I'm like, let me tell you a bunch of stuff and maybe make you feel better about what's going on. And are you okay? Is this okay? Am I still okay? And I have found there's great power in just being still and being quiet and letting the world come to you. That was beautiful. What's the best or the worst advice you've ever gotten? I love this because my father didn't mean it in this way, but when I was learning how to drive, he said, my best advice for you is to never back up farther than you have to, because it often will get you in trouble in a car. Like, like just go back as far as you need to go in, in order to correct or go in the direction you need to. And at the time I was like, what? And he was just like, people that try to reverse too far often, you end up hitting something or you, your field of vision, you, you can't account for everything going on behind you. So be judicious in how you back up while you're driving. And I think that's the best advice. Cause I've had some missteps in my life where I've had some reroutes and I always think of him. I'm like, don't back up farther than you have to. So I think some people are just like, oh no, now I have to redo everything or just back up a little bit and then change course and keep going. He yeah, didn't mean like it that way, but yeah, but I, I took it. I I've adopted it. I love that. You don't have to throw the entire draft out. Just look at that one scene. Yes. Yeah. I and mean, sometimes it's a line, one line. Cause sometimes you're like, you're oh, like that, well, everything. that line's wrong, but it changes everything. And now we have a talking monkey in the show, but it yep. doesn't have to go that. Way. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Um, who's a firecracker in your world that you want to shine a light on? Oh, 
I, there's there's two people that immediately come to mind. Lily Wachowski, who is the showrunner yes. and executive producer of Work in Progress, because she was the one in this last writer's room who was like, oh, and you're going to write some episodes. And I was like, I am. It's kind of unheard of to be staffed and then be given an episode or two to write and have a single credit. And there were several of us that were like, uh, perhaps you didn't know that we've not done this before. And she was just like, mm, you're going to do it. And it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Like it's, she's just very like no nonsense. Like, and then you'll do this and it'll go great. And mm -hmm. so I, I, I just love that about her. Cause if there was any stutter start to that, like, well, we're going to give this to you and we hope it goes okay. And we might have to redo it and you might not get that, you know, she just doesn't go like, well. I wasn't the person to give you the script anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, from the get go, she's just like, and then you're going to do this. And I'm like, oh, all right. So I give her great credit for empowering a lot of folks on that show to do work that they've never done before. I love that. Yeah. And then the other yeah. firecracker is a different person who's working on that show, Blythe Haga, who is one of the producers. And she was also a director of one of the episodes in season two. And she's such a badass that she had a toddler and then she had a second child while season one was finishing shooting and then going into the renewal and into the pandemic. She has two kids that are really small. And I just bow down. I have great respect yeah. for parents that are just like the primary, you know, and she's got a great partner that was like, go ahead, you know, and he carried a brunt of the child care stuff like that. But she just has mm -hmm. been a total badass because she's been juggling a lot and, uh, and, and bringing that show to bear. And yeah, she's, I just admire the hell out of her. Awesome. Uh, but my final question is uh, advice to your younger self. Like what would you have told Kate James? Relax, just relax. It all ends up being fucking fine. Yeah. It's just, it, it's, it's going to be fine. Like just relax. Yeah. yeah. It might not be fine this moment, but it's going to be. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in the grand scheme of things, it always was fine. Like there've been some big hiccups and some really hard times, but it's fine. You're going to be fine. Stop yeah. worrying. Stop worrying so much. Yeah. Planners, you gotta, you gotta put, you can't spell planning without worry. <laughs> as they say. <laughs> I'm going to go um, etch that into a piece yeah. of driftwood. Oh, it's a tattoo. Do you want to see it? It's on my... <laughs> Under, right across your clavicle like the most pain, <laughs> it's a bit the painful place you could get a tattoo where the, the skin is the thinnest and it's a bit long so it goes down my arm my armpit you have to lift up my arm to read the and I have to shave in order for you to read it uh, Kate James I just love talk, talking with you I wish we could sit and hang out and I know that'll come soon but I soon so enough Right yeah. back at you. This is a delight. The best. I mean, for me, that was such a treat. And sometimes I think, you know, I'm so glad I have this podcast because it gives me an excuse to have that kind of catch up with Kate James. You know, life's busy, but I'm such a fan of hers. I hope I see her much, much more in the future. 
You can follow Kate James at Kate C. James on Twitter. For the latest updates for Work in Progress, follow Showtime at Showtime. Stream Work in Progress Seasons 1 and 2 on show.com. That's S-H-O.com. And for our Canadian firecrackers, you can catch up on both seasons on Crave TV. For the latest episodes of Hello from the Magic Tavern, go to hellofromthemagictavern.com. Surprise, surprise. Or follow them on Twitter at Magic Tavern. You can watch last year's work in progress panel that we did on our Facebook page at FirecrackerDEPT. And you can also listen to the panel as a bonus podcast episode. And while you're there, why not have a listen to Celeste Picoche and Mary Soane's episodes too, right? Get the whole work in progress sandwich going on. Thanks for joining us today. Stay tuned for many, many more firecracker voices that are going to fill you up with creative energy to help you take some creative action. Go on out there and be bold, be brave, and look after each other. Winnie Wong is our firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Now, whether you're a first-time or a long-time listener to the Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you. We mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our Firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know that when they put something out into the world, that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Share it because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you. Yeah, you. Sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.